This afternoon, I'll preach to you the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 22, that's page 536 in the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever looked at the flat part of the metal of your car to see what you look like. Now don't do it in the winter, your car is always so dirty you can't see, but if it's nice and clean and you look in that car, the flat part of the metal, you can, you can be certain that you are looking at an image of yourself by the color of your hair and your clothes. But it is difficult to see the finer details because it's only a partial reflection. When Paul writes about seeing in a mirror dimly, we should not be thinking of our modern mirrors made of glass that give a very detailed reflection, but rather one of the mirrors of polished brass, it's a metal, that was being made in Corinth in Paul's days. Some say that Corinth was even famous for their brass work. It was a true reflection, but it wasn't including all the details. Everything that the viewer was seeing was real and true, but because of the quality of the mirror, there was more to see that he was missing. When we confess what we believe about the resurrection of the, de of the dead and the life everlasting, we have to use this same kind of language. We, can't, we reach the limits of our words because we reach the limits of our experience. We can form a partial picture of what it will be like because the Bible speaks about our Lord Jesus Christ's glorified body. But even the scriptures tell us that we are making a confession about what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. The good news is that Christians who believe in Jesus Christ are already able to experience a foretaste, a, it's like a sampling of what is to come, because eternal life is not the start of something completely new, but eternal life is a continuation and a perfection of what we already know in part. I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. The Holy Spirit gives us a foretaste today of our future perfect blessedness. And we'll see the partial 
we can already experience in the second place the perfect we can't fully explain so first the the partial that we can experience and and I love it that Christianity and our confession is so down to earth it's so real it's connected to the things we see and experience we are not holding on to some airy theory or philosophy or idea but we believe in concrete and visible realities the creation mandate is focused on our work on our relationships on our worship and the Ten Commandments show us that sin is not just just a concept but it is something that I can point at in my life in the real concrete relationships I have with God and with other people conversion is not just a change of mind but it is also a change of behavior the Bible is always very clear about the close connection between the realities of heaven and the realities on earth when the Bible speaks about discipline we read that the decisions that faithful leaders make on earth about our forgiveness in Christ reflect the reality for that person that uh, in, 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 in heaven that he can expect what is bound on earth we read is bound in heaven when a person repents on earth Luke tells us the angels in heaven rejoice eating a piece of bread at the Lord's Supper on earth is related to our union with Christ who is in heaven death is a doorway to heaven and not a punishment of sin and just like it is possible for Christ's glorious body to be in heaven so it is possible for our flesh in heaven once the weak and mortal is left behind and we are changed in the blink of an eye to receive glorified bodies like Jesus Christ's body when we think of the end of times when we think of the return of Jesus Christ we don't think the Bible doesn't teach a, a, a disembodied state of being but we read in the end of Revelation that there will be a great resurrection of all flesh after which the church will come down to earth and then we read about cities we read about gates and plants and nations praise and gifts being brought to the Lord down to earth reality a new experience in our Lord and it's in this context that the catechism investigates how the connection between heaven and earth how that can be a comfort for us when we die and one day you will die so what does it help you today that you believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting that's the, the question that the catechism asks and the answer is that since I know that there is a connection between earth and heaven and I know that every good gift that God has already given to me in this life will continue when I die I will continue to experience peace with God in Christ Jesus I will continue to be able to worship him with my body and my soul just as God has created me to do so in my work 
in my relationships, in my worship. The comfort of my confession concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting is that death is not the end of me. Death is not the end of my body and my soul. In fact, when I look at my body, maybe in the mirror, I am seeing in a mirror dimly what I will be looking at in the glory of heaven. The eyes in my head, the thoughts in my mind, the passion in my heart, the legs that brought me to worship today were all created by God to be used for His praise in all eternity. There is a connection between the beginning and the end of the creed. For God the Father has created us, each with a body and a soul, to live before Him with our bodies and souls and to praise Him in life everlasting. But, although there is a connection, the image we look at when we look in the mirror and we see our physical bodies, that image is distorted by the effects of our fall into sin. The effects of the fall are so bad that Paul says that we will need to be changed. And basically, he explains in 1 Corinthians 15, the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. That which dies cannot in inherit that which does not die. And so for a while we learn in Scripture that our soul needs to be separated from our physical bodies. Our soul needs to be separated from our bodies that are, are scarred and fragile and broken. And we learn about the fact of this separation from Luke chapter 23, verse 43. And there the Lord Jesus said to the criminal on the cross beside him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Even though it was clear to everyone that his body was hanging there dead on the cross. So in what way was the criminal there with the Lord Jesus on that day? It's the soul. And that's what we confess. We confess that our soul will be immediately taken up to Christ our head. So what is that soul? When the Lord Jesus tells a man that he will be with him in paradise even without his body, it suggests that the soul is what defines you apart from your body. Whether that includes your personality, your characteristics, your perspective, your desires and your interests, we, we do not know with certainty, but we do know that Paul is certain that he could be with the Lord even if his body should die. It's Philippians 1, verses 21 to 23. And then he comforts believers in 1 Thessalonians 4, and he says that if we die before the Lord Jesus returns, we will always be with the Lord. We confess that you will still be you, even when your body is placed in the grave. Although, Revelation 6, verse 
10, 9 to 10, says that your that soul will be longing to be reunited with your physical body. So we confess that our flesh will be raised afterwards someday. It will be raised imperishable. That means unable to die. It will be raised in glory and power, just like Christ's glorious body. That's Philippians 3, verse 21. What will that day be like? Well, when you look in the mirror and you see your body united to a soul, you can tell yourself, that is what it will be like. With my soul and my body joined together so that they can praise God together. Although an imperishable and a glorious body is bound to look different than the one you see in the mirror, at the same time you can be comforted to know God's original purpose and God's original plan will not be frustrated. Even your illnesses and your weaknesses serve to prepare you to, to let go of everything here on earth that is temporary and they remind you of the glory that is in store for you. Our physical and our mental suffering is temporary and no, it will no longer be there when we are reunited with Christ our head and continue to serve Him in our unique ways with our unique body and soul that God created for us. And while you're looking in the mirror, the kind of what you'll look like in heaven, a body and a soul, also take a look at that peaceful joy in your heart that shines through your face. Because that joy that you can already see right now, that joy is a blurry reminder, a dim reminder an imperfect, a partial reminder of the eternal joy you will have in heaven. We confess that connection when we say that since we are joyful today, we can be certain of eternal joy. Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. Perhaps that sentence worries you a little because when you are looking in the mirror, you're seeing tears, you're seeing sadness, you're seeing concern. And you might be asking, is there no room for, for grieving or sadness or mental disorders such as depression or anxiety in the church? Does our certainty, certainty concerning the life everlasting, does it depend on my feeling of happiness today? Does it depend on that carefree smile that many don't see in a mirror today? To answer that, you need to open your Bible into Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, especially verses 4 to 9, but also including at 10 to 13. And when we look there, it's an example of one of the ways that, that it's explained, we see that by definition in the Holy Scriptures, joy is something that begins at a deeper level than just 
outward happiness, the feeling of happiness. Joy, we learn in verse 4, happens in the Lord. The apostle says, rejoice in the Lord always. Joy is being confident in the Lord. Joy is having the peace of God guarding your hearts. The joy that the catechism is talking about as a sign of our future and eternal joy, that is the joy in the Lord. The certainty that Christ Jesus really did do all the work that we read about in the Bible. You know he did it. It is the peace that comes when we remember his love for us in spite of our weakness, in spite of our struggles, in spite of our tears. The Lord loves us as we are. It is the contentment that comes from his promises for us. This joy we see then is not dependent on our experiences and our moods. And so even in the toughest times of this life, when, like Paul is talking about in verse 12, when we are, we are brought low or we are suffering from hunger or any other need, we can look to the Lord with certainty. We can look to Him and we can say, He certainly did that work. My joy is in the Lord. At the same time, Although the beginning of our eternal joy is centered on what Jesus Christ did, rejoicing in the Lord, it does not exclude the happy feelings that we may get to experience in this life as we receive with thanksgiving the other blessings. We talked about that. We saw that in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5. The fact of the matter is God created many things for his creatures to enjoy. And so when we have a great day at work or an enjoyable time with our families or friends, brothers and sisters in the congregation, when we are enriched by our worship and we respond with songs to God's amazing grace to us, we do get a little taste of that paradise restored. This partial Knowledge of God-given pleasures makes us all the more eager for that future perfect blessedness that we will possess after this life. And we wonder, what will it be like, really? And we confess then that we can't fully explain it. If we look back to the comparison that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, we see that although there is a connection... There is continuity between this life and what we experience now and the life to come. There is also, very clearly, a greater fullness to everything. Something that is coming that we do not yet know or comprehend. Something that will make the, the whole experience of life everlasting in our glorified, resurrected bodies to be very different from what we know today. The Holy Spirit says that the things we are experiencing in part right now, like our body and our soul, the fact that we can worship God with joy, the peace 
in our hearts, create, in, in, the peace we have in our hearts in the world created by a sovereign God. Well, all these things are like a dim or faded picture of what we will see face to face in heaven. So there's a comparison between a mirror image and face to face. And as we start to think about that, we realize even that contrast is not very easy for us to explain. And although we can understand what Paul is telling us, that that Paul is telling us that our experience as creatures on the new earth will be fuller, it'll be more real, it'll be something to look forward to, it is hard to comprehend what things will be different and how different they will be. You can imagine a child raised up in, in, a, in, a, in an isolated room who never had face-to-face, never had physical contact with another human being. And that child grew up and all he knew was Skype or FaceTime. Those are the different audio-visual programs that allow you to talk with others long distance. That's all he knew. Just a screen and somebody talking to him on that screen that he could interact with. Now think about it. How would you explain to that child the difference between screen conversation and a face-to-face meeting? Well, you thought you were hearing a real voice. You thought you were touching them when you touched the screen. You thought that inverse image was the right one. How do you explain the the feeling of a hug, of physical contact? How would you explain that to the child? You could only say all those things are just a dim reflection of a face-to-face meeting. Well, in the same way, when we talk about life everlasting, we confess that although we, uh, we, we, we believe it to be true, at the same time we confess we only know it in part. Kind of like a small child, says Paul, that has such a limited experience that he or she can't tell you what it is like to, to walk or to jump or to think about others first or to reason logically Mason can't speak yet, but he, he can't even imagine what that would be like. Well, we can also, we must also confess that we can't fully explain what that perfect blessedness will be like. And the Bible gives us many images, many pictures to, to try describe it. And those pictures all show one important underlying thing. And that under, important underlying message is that it will be good. It will be even better than we can imagine, so you don't have to be afraid to die if you are in Jesus Christ. You can take comfort in the promise of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting if you are a part of Christ's body, if you are saved in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a great comfort. And yet, in reality, We can't really understand even what we mean when we confess that my soul after this life shall immediately be taken up to Christ my head. Taken up to Christ my head. What is that about? 
Never mind the concept of, of eternity. I mean, where is heaven? Where is that the throne that Christ our head is seated on? Is it another dimension of existence that is already all around us, sort of what was pointed to, like we looked at when we looked at Lord's Day 19 and 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7? And then we can continue to ask the questions, what can the Holy Spirit mean when he says, then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known? Now, how will that be different from our knowledge today? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. What will the eternal weight of glory beyond comparison? What will that what does that mean? What would that be like? What does it mean for our experience? How do we experience that? Or how will we notice it in our bodies and our souls when, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, what is mortal is swallowed up by life. And our earthly tent is replaced with a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I'm just reading 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 4. Well, we look to Revelation. Revelation gives hope to explain it. It tells us the revelation of Christ, which God gave him to show his servant the things that must soon take place. So we look in this book, this revelation of our risen Lord in his glorious body. He's in heaven. He, he tells the churches what will soon take place. And in this revelation, we learn that our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is certainly in heaven, victorious, a glorious, eternal king who is on his throne, that in him we have certainty of our victory over sin and death and the devil. We see that in the first three chapters of Revelation. And then we continue to read. We also catch glimpses of the heavenly joy and, and the glory that we can look forward to. And we learn as we read these, these chapters that it is a place of joyful songs in the Lord Jesus Christ, praising the victorious King. It's a continuation of our worship today. However, we also realize that Revelation has, doesn't have the words. The words fail to fully explain what that experience will be like. There are many questions that remain. Even the descriptions of the, the words of, of the revelation of Jesus Christ, they're clear, they're true, but for us it's difficult to comprehend. They seem to go beyond what we can imagine. For example, Revelation 7, verse 17. Although we may know that the Lamb, that's Jesus Christ, that He, in, in, in the midst of the throne, that He will be our shepherd, we know that Jesus Christ will guide us to springs of living water and that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Well, we can't even... Imagine what it would be like to be free from tears, and death, and mourning, and crying, and pain. We've never experienced this before. We've never been in a kingdom where everybody could sing like we read in Revelation 
19, where, where everybody could sing about the complete destruction of all those who attack God and who attack the church, and where we read of the marriage feast of the Lamb, a, a big celebration of all those who were made clean in Jesus Christ. We can't even imagine because we've only ever known a world that has not been purified yet. Now we can begin to imagine because God has allowed His church to know some of these things. In part, we have, as we read, that wisdom from God as He reveals things to us. But in the end, if someone asks us, what will it really be like? And, and you know how many times that question is asked, what is it going to really be like after we die? You know that we just answer with the words of 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, my brother, my sister, it will be a blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. And as we think about the promises that God has given us, and as we think of, of the coming glory, and, and it is good to think about that often, we discover that that mystery and that anticipation, it becomes a part of the eternal joy that we already feel in our heart, isn't it? The Lord God made us with the desire and the calling to continue growing and studying and, and learning about the world he made. Already in paradise, Genesis 2, he, he gave the garden, he gave this perfect place, and then he, he put four rivers going. He said that leads to gold, that leads to something else, that leads to something else. That, that He made us with the desire to explore more. He made us so that we find joy in the mystery and the anticipation. When the Lord described the promised land, Deuteronomy 8, he showed that it was a good land, and he said, because in it you will find, and then he talks about the potential to discover many things there. Different foods, different metals. And clearly, we glorify God when we are exploring the world, when we are discovering the new things that reflect who he is. And as we journey deeper and deeper into the fullness of the infinite majesty of our Heavenly Father. The mystery of the new heaven and the new earth is part of the eternal joy we already feel in our hearts. Just hearing that, you're, you feel that being pulled, that drive to, to see more, to know more, to, to, to understand even more about the Lord who made us. The Spirit tells us that faith, hope, and love remain. And we see that although we may not know exactly what we will experience as we move forward, we do not have to be afraid of faith and hope and love. In all the descriptions that we read of the heavenly joy and the glory, we see that the picture is always one of people who are happy to worship. A picture of people who want to praise the triune God as they meditate on His infinite love. 
the thought that we will have the opportunity to experience the love of God without the hindrance of selfishness or envy or weakness. That is the thought that gives us the greatest comfort when we confess that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Do you remember the text, Psalm 27, verse 4? It was a text that was projected on the wall here when you walked into the auditorium this afternoon. The comfort of the life everlasting is that you will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You will be given eternity to rejoice in the Lord, in the fullness of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the creator of the universe. The desire that the Holy Spirit has already put in your heart today, if you, were our, if you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that desire, that transformed heart to be with God in all eternity, that will be fulfilled. This life, we move around a lot. It's a lot of journeying, traveling. When you move from one place to another, you count on experiencing new things. Although you bring many things with you as you travel, including your body and your soul, your knowledge and your experiences, you also understand that things will never be the same as they used to be. You know, in part what you can expect, but you have to get to your destination before you can fully understand it. And when you get to the destination, well, you can throw out all the, the travel brochures and the pictures that you were studying before you left because they become obsolete. Well, the same is true for the promise of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We know we will be able to continue to praise God, to continue to experience His love. But we cannot explain fully what it will look like. We know it will be good. That is the comfort. But we can't fully explain how good. What we do know is that we will finally be capable of using all our gifts to worship God, to experience His love, in our bodies, and in our souls. And we can live right now with that eternal perspective. Amen.